experience heartache. We all know pain. But in the midst of our suffering, amid life's chaos, we seek hope in God. We are chasing daylight. Hey, uh, a big shout out to our Santan campus, to our Scottsdale campus, and uh, to you guys in this room that you're you're suffering through our suffering series, and uh, glad that you're doing that. We've said this, and just say it again. My hope is you're not suffering right now. My hope is that your life is doing fine right now, because if that's the case, then this is the perfect moment to be having this conversation, because you don't want to be figuring out the things that we're talking about in the midst of pain in the midst of darkness and trying to go, God, where are you? This is information you need in your tool belt before that moment comes. And then, guys, if you are, I mean, if you are eyeball deep in a dark moment in your life, then, guys, please, please be patient with us. Give some grace in the conversation. Allow some of the things that are on first blush are going to sound a little bit trite, that they're going to sound too simplified. Let them sink in. Take the time to process, to say, is it possible that that really is the hand of God and what God is doing in my life in a moment that hurts so deeply and so hard? And just maybe, just maybe you and I will find some daylight, hence the title, in the midst of what just feels so dark. Here's what we're going to talk about today. When you and I encounter suffering, when we get to that moment that is so deeply unfair, it's just so wrong in our lives. You and I are going to be pushed to have one of two reactions. See, either we're going to go, look, okay, this is so wrong, and I don't understand it, and God appears to be so absent and just so unjust in this moment that you and I are going to be inclined to rear back with frustration, anger, and just stubbornness toward God and go, God, look, 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 here's the deal. Before we go any further, before we do anything else, I need you to explain yourself. I need you to tell me why this is happening and where we're going with it, because I'm not moving anywhere from here until you tell me uh, what you're doing. There's going to be an inclination for you and I to hunker down in moments of struggle, in moments of unfairness, and just get absolutely stubborn with God. And I'm just going to say to you, it is the worst possible reaction. It's the worst thing you can do that moment. If you hunker down, if you say, this is where I'm staying until God, chances are you'll stay in the darkness. Chances are you'll stay in the moment of ache. And what you need to be looking for as you change is looking for movement. And the only way to produce movement is to have completely the opposite reaction to moments of struggle and suffering and say, God, look, look, here's the, I don't get it. I don't. I, I would have never chosen this moment for myself. It looks so vastly unfair. I hate it. I hate that this is happening in my life. But God, look, here's the deal. I'm going to keep my heart soft. 
I'm going to look for you in the midst of my suffering. I'm going to listen for your voice. And I'm simply going to do whatever you ask me to do because you're the one that knows where daylight is. And so I'm choosing to keep my heart soft. I'm choosing, I'm choosing in the midst of my pain to be humble and willing to hear from you. Guide me to some daylight. There's a couple passages in Scripture that I think are going to help us with this moment, help us to understand why stubbornness betrays us and why a contrite, gentle heart is our best hope in the midst of suffering. So grab your Bibles real quick. We're going to take a look at these passages, see if maybe it brings some daylight uh, for you and me. So grab your Bibles. It's the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, if you're not familiar with your Bibles, if you go to the back and then work to the left, you're going to find this book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Somebody in the room needs to like rustle the pages so that it sounds like people are opening their Bible right now and I'll feel better. I know some of you are doing the iPhone. How many of you got iPhone Bibles? Okay, those aren't real Bibles, but that's okay. I, no. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. It's just harder on a pastor. Yeah, they don't rustle. All right, Hebrews chapter 12. Watch this moment, because this moment, right, 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 this moment, this passage begins to explain some of the darkest moments of our lives and the deepest struggles of our hearts. Keep your heart soft. Here we go. Here it is. Ready? It's Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 5. Here's what it says. And have you forgotten the word of encouragement? What we're about to talk about, what we're going to say together, this ought to be encouraging to your heart. You Ready? that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Enduring hardship as discipline. See, saying you realize that sometimes the darkest moments of our lives are actually discipline moments from God. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, if God never spanks you, and everyone undergoes discipline, if you're not being disciplined, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. I had a moment with a friend who was living his life just absolutely in rebellion and disobedience to God, and I said, man, I said, look, are you sure you're a Christian? And he was actually minorly offended. He said, what do you mean? Of course I'm a Christian. And I said, here's why I'm asking. Because you tell me that you know Jesus Christ, and yet I've watched you live in sin, and God's not spanking. And the Bible says that if you and I are his children, he spanks. So out of love, I had to ask. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit how much more should we keep our hearts soft? How much more should we stop in that moment and say, whoa, 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 what is this, and what are you doing, and what are you trying to teach me? How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline, <laughs> no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Have you ever had a kid go, thank you? Hey, that was the best spanking I ever had. 
Wow, you're a great parent. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And then later on, later on, somewhere down the road, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. It actually blesses their lives that they got the spanking. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Here's the question. Is it possible... Is it possible that in what feels so painful, and guys, I, I, I get it. This is such a hard question to ask. This is why you've got to know it ahead of time. Is it possible that in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my sadness, in the midst of my ache, that what I need to do is keep my heart soft and say, hey, God, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is it possible this is you? And that this is actually a moment in which you're trying to get my attention, you're trying to, you're spanking me over something in my life that I've, I've been unyielding with, I've refused to give to you up until this point. Because God, look, if that's what it is, I need to know. I need, I need you to point it out to me so I can deal with it. Because guys, 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 you ready for this? The worst thing you could do in this moment, if, if this moment that feels so painful and feels, and guys, I, I get it. Didn't the passage say there's, there's no discipline that feels good at the time? It, the worst thing you and I could do in a moment like that is dig our heels in and get stubborn because the spanking then only has to get bigger. I've got a friend, and uh, he told me a story about his two daughters. The oldest daughter, Tina, comes out of the back rooms where the two girls have been playing together, and she's got a scratch down the entire length of her forearm. And she comes to dad, says, dad, dad, Sarah just scratched me. To which then my friend goes back into the room to confront Sarah, and the girls know they're not supposed to hit, and they're not supposed to fight, and they know that. And so he says to Sarah, Sarah, did you scratch your sister? To which she says, nope. Now, one of the other house rules is you don't lie. And my friend knows that Sarah just lied. And so he says, look, Sarah, you remember, you know, if you lie to me, that's just an automatic spanking. I mean, that's, that's what's going to happen. Did you scratch your sister? No. So my friend gave her a spanking. And after he gives her the spanking, he says to her, did you scratch your sister? To which she says, no. So at this moment, he's kind of second-guessing, so he goes walking back out to his older daughter, Tina, and says, did your sister actually scratch you? To which Tina says, Dad! So now Dad goes back into the room and says, okay, Sarah, did you scratch your sister? No! Another spanking. Gets done with the spanking and says, are you ready to admit, did you scratch your sister? No! Now he walks back out to Sarah, and he says, Sarah, are you, did she actually, and by now it's bleeding. And she says, Dad, she scratched me. Now he walks back in to Sarah. Sarah, did you scratch your, no, third spanking. Gets done with the third spanking and says to Sarah, Sarah, did you scratch your sister? Yes. You get it could have been done in one. Could have been done in one. Matter of fact, if she told the truth in the first place, maybe not even a spanking. 
I wonder how many times you and I have gone to a dark place, that we've been in a moment in which God is trying to get our attention. He's trying to say, hey, there's a part of your life you haven't dealt with, and because you're being resistant, because you're doing that, I, you're forcing me to spank, and you and I go, no, no. And I think especially if you and I find ourselves where we've been in a dark place for an extended period of time, is it possible that we're making it harder on ourselves? That we're literally resisting what God is trying to do, the discipline of God in our lives. And you and I are the ones extending it by our stubbornness. Guys, guys, get this. Matter of fact, the Scripture even said, think about this, that you and I should regard the fact that God would, would even actually discipline us as a compliment because, here's the deal, the very fact that God would bring discipline in your life means that you are a son or a daughter of God. You're one of His children. How many of you in the room, how many of you spank the neighbor kids? Anybody in here spank the neighbor kids? You are totally cool, dude. You are, you are like my hero. And, and guys, you get it, God once in a while spanks the neighbor kids, but that's not routine, right? That's not routine. And Scripture's actually saying, guys, guys, if God loves you enough to spank you, it's actually a compliment that you're His child and He cares about what's going on in your life. And look, spanking is never about getting even. It's not what spanking is, and if you're a parent who spanks to get even with your kid, you're horrible. That's bad. Spanking is always about modifying behavior. Spanking is all about blessing that child and saying, look, the behavior you're doing right now is not going to benefit your life in the long run, and I'm going to do what I have to do as a parent to modify your behavior now because that will cause you so much destruction, so much pain in the future. The reality is there's nothing more loving than a parent who says, I will not let you get away with that because it ultimately will be destructive in your life. Here's why this gets kind of confusing for us. You realize God doesn't always spank in the area that you and I are being disobedient in. He doesn't because that wouldn't always be effective. See, you may be at work, and let's say you're hanging out with the crowd at work, and you're getting right into the middle of the horrible stories and all the inner office gossip, and, and maybe, maybe your uh, sales tactics are less than ethical, and you're cutting some corners and doing some stuff you should never do. And God knows this. God goes, look, I could take that job away. I mean, that's the area in which disobedience is exhibiting itself. Here's the problem. Your resume is so strong. Your capacity is so high, your ability to talk, you'd have another job in a week, and you wouldn't learn anything. And a smart parent doesn't necessarily discipline where the misbehavior is, they discipline where it will have the greatest effect. Think about this. You've got a 15-year-old daughter, and for some reason, this is the day she decides to be spouty and snooty and totally disrespectful. If you discipline her where she disobeyed, you're in trouble. Because you, you say to her, look, apparently you don't know how to talk to your mom. So you're not allowed to talk to your mom for three days. <laughs> your 15-year-old daughter is going to go, that's exactly what I was hoping for. I don't want to talk to her the rest of my life. You want to know what's more effective? Hey, apparently you don't know how to use your voice, so we're going to take your cell phone away for a week. Ah! 
See, you don't always discipline where they do. You discipline where it is most effective. When Joshua was a kid, we'd have moments in which you could just tell his heart was going sideways. You just tell he was getting stubborn in that moment. You just tell he was going to endure the spanking and then he was going to go do it again. And I would say something like this to him. Hey, Josh, you can fight me all you want, but here's what you need to know. Ultimately, because I'm your daddy, because I love you, I will not give up. I will win this. I'm bigger than you, (laughs) and I am more patient than you, and I will win. The only thing left for debate right now is how much pain you're going to choose to endure until you learn what I'm trying to teach you. I wonder how many times, well, there you go. I wonder how many times you and I have put ourselves in that place with God. That that he's actually, what's happening in our lives, what we in that moment interpreted in the moment, and we thought this is God being so unfair, and it's God being unjust, was actually the loving hand of discipline in your life that God said, hey, look, there's this area of your life that you've chosen to be disobedient. There's this area of your life that I've been trying to deal with, and you've just refused. You've just said, no, maybe later in my life, or I know that's unbiblical, and I know it's wrong, and I shouldn't be going to that movie, or I shouldn't be hanging with those friends, or I should be doing something different with my finances, but I just don't care. I'm going to do it anyways. And that God, ready, as a loving father has put you over his knee and has said, I'm going to win this conversation. The only thing at stake right now is how long you want to endure the pain. How much more powerful for little Sarah to have figured this out and right from the outset said to her dad, I'm done scratching my sister. I'm done. I I get it. I understand it. I won't do it again. One of the hardest things for you and I to do, guys, hear my heart in this. One of the hardest things for you and I to do when it's dark and when it hurts, remember no discipline feels good at the time, is to stop in that moment and say, God, whoa, 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 I just need to know because this seems so unfair and it seems so harsh. Are, Are you trying to deal with a part of my life that I've reserved for myself, that I've refused to obey? Is that what this is? Which means you and I have to stop in that moment and examine and say, God, is there anything in me that doesn't please you? And if God says, well, yeah, Remember this conversation, remember this moment of conviction, and remember how you walked away stubbornly saying you were going to do it anyways? That the most powerful thing for you and I to do is go, okay, God, I'm, I'm done. I surrender. Because, you guys ready? Then there's no more reason for discipline. It can end. It's why stubbornness, it's why shaking my fist at God in the midst of suffering is the most horrible response you can possibly have because maybe, maybe it's discipline. There's a second, there's a second shoe down. There's a second part of this. Grab your Bibles and go with me to Romans chapter 8. So it's going to be to the left in your Bible. If you closed your Bible, it's going to be to the left. If you turned off your iPhone, turn it back on. 
Romans chapter 8. This is that passage, guys, look, this is that passage that nobody in suffering ever wants to hear because it just sounds so stupid. It's that one that says, hey, God works all things for the good to those who love God. Here's why that passage feels so bad. It's because anyone who ever says it to us only quotes verse 28. And the reality is the power of the passage, the understanding of the passage is verse 29. And so you and I are going to unpack this for a minute and just try to figure out if maybe we can see daylight in this passage. Here it is. It's Romans chapter 8, starting in verse uh, 28. Here's what it says. It says, we know, we know that in all things God works for the good uh, to those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And that's where we stop. But that is not the message. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Is it possible? Is it possible that God is doing something good in the midst of our pain that's bigger than you and I understand in the moment? Is that possible? Is it possible? Ready for this? Is it possible that God might be teaching you and me lessons in the midst of our pain that you and I could not and would not learn without the pain? Is it possible? Let me ask you a question. Who gets to define good in this passage? Because isn't that, let's be honest, isn't that the place where we stumble the most with God? We go, hey, whoa, 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 what I'm feeling what now, what I'm experiencing right now, there's no way this is good. There's no way this is good. So let me ask you a question. Who gets to define good? Do you get to define good? Do I get to define good? When I was praying last night for ASU to win, <laughs> is what happened good? Because every time I'm going to tell you, there's a whole bunch of Oregon State people going, God is so good right now. <laughs> You're the one! Your stinking prayer turned the whole… No. You get, you get what I'm saying? Who gets to define good? Because people, people, depending on where they're standing and where they're looking at the moment from, are going to define good differently. Think about this. you got a husband and a wife who spend all of their time fighting like cats and dogs, and finally they decide the best thing for their family is a divorce. And when those papers get signed, they go, this is good. This is good. It's better than us arguing all the time. But ask the kids. Ask the kids who've watched their parents' marriage blow to shreds. Ask the kids who, as they grow up as adults, don't have the tools in the tool belt to be able to navigate hard times in marriage because they never watched their parents navigate hard times in marriage. Ask them how good the divorce was. So let me ask you a question. Who gets to decide what's good? And the only possible answer is that God gets to decide. 
that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what my interpretation of good is. It doesn't matter what your interpretation of good is. What matters is, is what God says, this was good. And verse 29, God reveals good. You ready? Let's go back. God doesn't say, hey, it's all going to be a happy ending. God doesn't say, hey, everything's going to turn out well. You're going to end up with more money than you had before you started. You're going to be more famous than you. That's not what God defines as good. Verse 29. For we know, for those God foreknew, he predestined, ready, to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Here's what God says is good. Anything, no matter how painful it is, no matter how hard it is, anything that makes you look more like Jesus is good. Is good. Anything that I allow in your life, anything that comes in your life, and at the end of the day, you come out looking more like my son, that is was good for you. It's not how much money you have on the other end. It's not how healthy you are on the other end. It's do you look more like Jesus on the other end? Is it possible, guys, 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 is it possible that what you and I in that moment when we're going, man, it is dark and I don't understand and it feels like suffering, is it possible in the midst of your pain? And guys, I want to be, guys, I get that this answer is hard to get to if you're in the middle of it, but is it possible that this thing which seems so hard and hurts so bad, and you say to God, God, I would never choose this for myself, and he goes, I know, but I am making you lean on me more. I'm making you trust me more. I'm making you live a dark moment to the glory of, I'm making, you ready, more like my Son, and it is good. Maybe this helps. Imagine you're walking, you know, you're just out in the, taking a stroll kind of in the countryside. You're walking along uh, some railroad tracks, and as you walk around along the railroad tracks, you happen to see something kind of unusual glint on the ground. You bend over, you pick it up. It's a chunk of coal. And you look at it, and it's interesting because there's Abraham Lincoln's face right there on the chunk of coal. And so you think, well, hey, that's kind of cool. You know, I think, I think I'll save this chunk of coal. And so you stick it in your pocket. Keep walking down the tracks. A little while later, you look down, and you realize that chunk of coal is putting black soot all over your $100 pair of jeans. At that moment, you don't care that it looks like Abraham Lincoln. What are you going to do with that chunk of coal? Come on, it's not that hard. It's not a trick. You see, you're, you're just, this ain't worth my $100 pair of jeans. You're just throwing it away. You're walking down the very same railroad tracks. You get just a little bit further down the tracks, and you see something glinting again. And so this time you bend over. You pick it up. Diamond. You're going, hey, that's a pretty cool moment. Uh, you stick it in your pocket. You keep walking down the railroad tracks. After a little while, the diamond's cutting into you a little bit, kind of making it uncomfortable. So you pick the diamond up and you throw it away. <laughs> you would never do that, would you? 
It's a diamond. You're crazy. When you came to Jesus, lump of coal. See, you and I came with all of our rough spots, all of our rebellion, all of our darkness, all of our crud. Lump of coal. God said, I'm going to make you look like my son. Who knows where diamonds come from? Coal. Think about this. Less than a penny. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Less than a penny. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Anything that makes this look more like this is good. How do you make a lump of coal into a diamond? Anybody know? Pressure. Sound familiar? Pressure. Heat. Stinking, stinking, stinking heat. Why is God doing this to me? Heat. Crud time. You mean this still has to go on? How much longer do I have to do this? Time. But you take a chunk of coal and you mix in heat, pressure, and time, and it turns into something amazing. That's good. You realize that's what God is saying. There are moments I bring in your life that are so deeply uncomfortable. There are moments in which you just go, crud, God, why me? And this isn't fair. God goes, we're not talking fair. I'm doing something good in your life. I'm taking a chunk of coal and I'm turning it into the image of Jesus Christ. And you're fighting me on this. It's why stubbornness is such a horrible response. You find a diamond, you get, it's not ready yet, right? You find a diamond, you got to cut some facets in it. you got to make it reflect as much as possible so that everybody who sees it sees its brilliance. And you realize, guys, that God has to cut facets in our lives so that every time someone looks, every time someone sees us live a horrible moment, every time someone sees us when our car breaks down, every time someone sees us and our health goes south, that when they look at that moment, they see Jesus in us. God's got to cut some facets. And when God goes to cut facets, he brings tools. He's got to bring tools to kind of chip off the rough spots in your life. Hey, guys, whoa, 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 whoa. What if your boss, you know which one I'm talking about, the jerk, the, the guy who's just wrong and stupid and arrogant and all, what if your boss is actually a tool, not fair, not nice, not, he's a tool in the hand of God teaching you, you ready for this? To obey and honor somebody in authority in your life, even when they're being a turkey. And why would God teach you that lesson? Because I guarantee you there's going to be some moment in your life when you're going to think what the Bible says is stupid. And you're going to think what God's asking you to do is God's just a turkey. And if God can teach you through your crummy little boss to do what you need to do and listen to a human boss that you can see, how much more prepared are you going to be when God takes you through the hardest times of your life? How much more are you going to be like Jesus? But guys, here, look, think about this. The worst thing you can do in that moment of pain, the worst thing, guys, I get this is so hard. I, I get that when it's horribly unfair, the last thing you want to hear is, hey, listen to your boss. But here's the deal. 
Did you catch the part of the verse that says this? God has predestined us. What does predestined mean? It's pretty simple. It means there is a destination that God has already decided that you're going to get to. Whether you like it or not, God's going to get you to that destination. That destination is looking like Jesus. Whether you want to cooperate, whether you want to collaborate or not, God says, look, I'm going to get you to look like Jesus. That's what we're going to do. And if you in that process, as I give you that boss or the unfair teacher at school or the circumstances where your car breaks down and you decide to be angry instead of being willing to lean in and trust me for the new car, if you don't like the tools I have, God says, look, I've got an option. I'll just bring bigger tools in your life. If you're going to be stubborn about this, if you're going to refuse to listen in this moment, I'll just get you bigger tools. I wish I could tell you how many times as a youth pastor, I would be talking to a young man and he'd say, my parents are so stupid. I can't wait to get out of this house and get out from under their rules. The minute I turn 18, I'm gone. And I'd say, okay, okay, where are you going? I'm joining the military. Guys, I'm just, I'm just telling you, if, if, if you and I, if, if, guys, if this is a moment in which God is teaching you and me a lesson to be like Jesus, that you and I won't learn any other way, and if you and I in this moment decide, oh, this is so unfair and it's wrong, and I'm just going to sit here and wait for God to give me, if you and I get stubborn, <laughs> he'll go as far as you want to go. He'll, he'll, he'll do whatever he needs to do because, because we're ready for this. He's predestined you. He is absolutely determined for you that you're going to end up looking like Jesus when he's done. So it's just a matter of how long you want to fight it. Which means, guys, you're ready for this. That in that moment, when it just feels so wrong and so painful, what you don't want to do is go, God, no, no, I'm not going to learn. I don't care what you're doing. I refuse to. No, 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 no. The most powerful thing you can do in that moment is stop and say, God, are you trying to teach me something? Are you trying to teach me to be patient? Are you trying to teach me to be humble? Because I need to learn this lesson. And the sooner I learn it, the sooner we can be done. I'm 19 years old. I take my first youth pastor because here's the deal. At 19 years old, I was ready to be a youth pastor. You only had to ask me. I would have told you. And here's how I got to that conclusion. You know, when I was uh, at my home church before I headed off to Bible college, I was president of the youth group. Uh, I had taught for two years the junior boys class. Now, I had no idea at 19 that the reason they let me teach the junior boys class is because nobody else wanted the junior boys class. I had gone to old folks' homes and preached on every Sunday, and I'm telling you, those old folks, they loved my sermons. They're going, amen. Didn't matter they were suffering from dementia. They were into it. <laughs> and so I was ready. I was so ready to lead a group of kids who, think about this, I was barely a year older than. But I was ready. Can I tell you that my first youth pastor was a failure? 
I flopped. I was the worst youth pastor in the history of the world of youth pastors. I am there as the picture in the dictionary of bad. I, in my arrogance and pride, got done with that first youth pastorate and said, I'm ready for the next. The only job I could find was an intern's job. Now, guys, for those of you that aren't in ministry world, getting a, if you've been a youth pastor and getting an intern's job is like being a manager, and now they send you back to work the floor. You get God was trying to teach me to be humble. He was trying to teach a young man, you're not all that you think you are. If I had resisted the lesson of God in my life and taken and stubbornly waited for the next youth pastor, how good do you think I would have been at the next youth pastor? See, we already know. The interesting thing is that I went to be an intern, finally admitting and saying, God, I don't know everything I don't know. That particular position literally, literally put me in contact with two or three men who knew so much about ministry and poured into my life, it literally changed the trajectory of my life. And God was saying to a young man, I've got a lesson for you to learn that you're not going to learn any other way than experience some pain right now, and we're going to humble you. Is it possible? Is it possible the moment that you're in, the moment that seems to be unrelenting and staying, is the very loving hand of God teaching you something that you will not learn, you would have never learned in your life outside of the pain, and that the most powerful thing you can do in this moment is say, God, whatever it is you're teaching, if you're teaching me to be humble, if you're teaching me not to depend on money and love money more than I love you. God, if you're teaching me not to play to the crowd and want their approval, but instead to want, whatever it is you're trying to teach me that makes me more like Jesus Christ, tell me what it is because I want to learn it and get on to the next lesson as quick as I can. I, I, I have no desire for you to have to bring out bigger tools. Teach me where I am. Let's bow our heads. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. For those, of us, for those of us that aren't struggling right now, it's just a great noting time. It's a great time to say, hey, when it gets hard, when it gets dark, two of the first questions I've got to ask is, hey, is God spanking? Do I have a place in my life that's disobedient and unrelenting and God's just trying to get my attention? Change me. Or is God trying to teach me something that I would have never learned on my own? It's going to take some pain to get there, and I need to learn this lesson as quick as possible. For those of us in the room who today are hurting, I'm not telling you this is your answer. I'm not saying this is what it is. But would you be soft of heart? Would you be willing to have the simple conversation with God and say, God, in the midst of my pain and in the midst of what just seems so wrong in my life and so unfair, I'm going to keep my heart soft. I'm going to be available for what you might be doing. And so here's the deal. Look, God, if this is a spanking, if this is discipline, if you're trying to get me to deal with something in my life that up until now I've been absolutely stubborn about and unwilling to confess and deal with, God, if you'll just bring it to my heart, if you'll put it in front of me, I promise you we'll deal with it today. 
I'm so done being in the darkness. I'm so done with the pain right now. I'll deal with it today. If you come to a moment, you go, no, my hands are clean. I, I, I can't think of a single place in my life that has disobedience or disregard for God. I, I think I stand with clean hands before God. Then you ask the next question. God, are you trying to teach me something? Is there a lesson in here? Are you trying to teach me faith that's beyond any faith I've ever had before? Are you trying to teach me to rely on you? Are you trying to teach me to be humble because I've been so filled with pride? Are you trying to teach me to be compassionate because I've been so selfish? God, are you teaching me something that's going to make me look more like your son? And if that's the case, would you just, would you mention the lesson? Would you tell me what it is I'm supposed to be developing in my life? Because I want to learn it as quick as I can. I, I want this lesson over with. So let me know what it is, because I will absolutely cooperate with you. What if that simple prayer would bring light to the present darkness? It'd be a good day. Dear Lord Jesus, we just simply come. God, we've tried to interpret what was good. We tried to say, hey, that's not how I would have done it. That's not what, if I were God, I would be like. And yet, some of the things that have felt most painful have actually been your loving hand. They've been the hand of a father spanking a child, saying, look, I, I've got to modify your behavior. If you do this the rest of your life, you're going to do nothing but cause pain and heartache and disappointment. And I'm, I love you too much. God, give us the courage to look and say, is there any part of my life that I have just, I have just refused to surrender to God, that the discipline could be over? And then God, uh, if it's a lesson, if, if this is heat and pressure and time molding us from that chunk of coal to the diamond, making us look more like Jesus, then God, bring it on. Bring it on. Because looking more like Jesus would be good. Help us to learn the lesson. Help us to live in a soft-hearted surrender that the teaching would go quick. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.